All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 56 of Two's Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, this week we had a great opportunity to catch up with Jason Lee McKinney. Now, he's got a band, Jason Lee McKinney Band, but he recently released his latest album. But after catching up with him, I realized, wait a minute, he's released three albums over the last two years during this time. And that's exactly what we've been talking about, this gigantic release of information. But his whole attitude was like, well, now I've got tons of songs to go out on the road and tour. Yeah, it kind of creates a situation for yourself, right? You've got all this kind of downtime to write a lot, and that's what you do. And if you're really devoted to music, that's what you're going to do. And then, uh, as he said, you've got a whole catalog of songs to go touring with. And so bring it on, right? (laughs) Yeah. And what I thought was interesting is, he did a cover album. He did a Christmas album. Mm-hmm. Then he has this latest one that I listened to it and I started thinking, this really sounds like an album of faith because there were gospel singers, but at the same time, it was definitely had some soul in there and some really catchy tunes. And I think that's interesting that, you know, as all these different musical outlets that he basically said now, he has to stop creating because he has to go promote. And I think that's a hard choice for many artists where you, you got to stop creating new things. And now you have to focus on the thing you just did and try to hold back that urge. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it probably depends on the artist. I know that, I mean, it seems to me that if you, if you do some, if you made something that you love, you're going to want to go out and promote it. You know, uh, I know, I mean, the limited little bit of songwriting that I do when I write something that I really like, I, I play it over and over again. I don't, I don't get tired of playing it. So I think that um, in some ways this, this makes sense to me in the sense that he put together this album that's got this real, as you said, this real spiritual side. It, it's clearly drawing on American gospel, uh, blues, and then, of course, rock and country as well. And I mean, it's got some great sounding stuff, especially the one track "Unified." I really, 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 really dug that one. And and it's got a it's got some clear messages there about you know he's got freedom and and there's some biblical undertones to the gospel stuff. And so it seems to me that if you've got this stuff all put together, that you want to go out and sort of spread the message, so to speak. And so it it makes sense to me. Well, it was a great interview. I hope everyone enjoys it. We're going to jump right into it. And when we come back on the other side, we'll catch up a little bit about Tunes Mate and think about what Jason said during his interview. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate. And I am honored to be joined by Jason. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. And you've got a new album, and it's the Jason Lee McKinney Band. And Mike Farley and his crew introduced me to your music. And I got to tell you, I mean, I went through the album. And I went through it a couple times, and there's a couple songs that kind of grabbed me as I went through. And I know poured your heart and soul into this, so there's definitely, I can just tell the, the way you put all the tracks down. What like drove you to write this new album? Well, it's uh, interesting. We um, we've always blended the same elements, you know, folk, blues, soul, funk mm-hmm. together. A little bit of alt country in there too at times. Uh, but we're very, which on the surface can seem like we can't make up our mind what we want to be. <laughs> but uh, it's really more that we're very influenced by American music 
particularly music that is birthed out of like rural America. If you think about blues, folk, country, soul, gospel, mm-hmm. it's all sort of birthed out of rural America, really out of American poverty. There's something about people that are subjugated that they come up with art that is super meaningful and feeling. And, and so we've always sort of had that blend with this album. We did two things in particular that were intentional. One is we wanted to really sort of emulate and do like a nod of the hat, uh, in a way that was very plain language that like, Oh, we are pulling references from, you know, uh, field songs. We are pulling references from, you know what I'm saying? Like we're not, Mm -hmm. not trying to hide or uh, disguise anything. And then the second thing is with the way the world has been between the pandemic and political climate and everything. Uh, I I've said this a couple of times. We wanted to be, if hope is a drug, I wanted to be Pablo Escobar. I wanted to be like the head of the cartel of hope. Cause I think people's lives are just about serious enough that a little joy doesn't hurt the world. Yeah. I mean, I, this album has a lot of faith. Is there a gospel aspect to this as well? There is, I mean, both gospel music, there's a gospel choir on about, three-fourths of the songs, a full-blown gospel choir. And then also just that message of hope. And so much of that, you know, speaking of rural America, faith played such a big part in everything from slave spirituals to the Irish uh, sort of uh, old-time gospel hymns. That, you know, I think of the Papio Daniel from Oh Brother, We're Out There, that kind of like thing from the uh, Appalachian. So it, it definitely, and our influences from that, that spiritual nature is definitely there. Oh, I can sense it. I mean, you kicked the whole album off, and the new album is called One Last Thing, and you kicked it off with Crossover, and I listened to it, and I was like, wow, this is, this is deep. How did you pick that song to kick everything off with? Two things made me pick that song. One is I love the contrast between it starting out just with acoustic guitar and then going into full band in that sort of B section. So it goes into sort of like, old time church, you know, a frame church out in the hills with, you know, uh, Jethro and Bubba. And I'm not making fun of people named Bubba. I have a cousin whose name is Bubba and I'm not kidding. So no, no shade there. I'm just being real. And then that, then it goes into that funky sort of thing, but it's all about that hope. It kicks it off. And a little bit with the like haze and the woos, you know, the, the Ric Flair woos in there is it sort of sets off this tone of the collectiveness of the album. I didn't want this album to come across when people hear it like we're playing songs for them. It's more of like, hey, we're all in this together. And it's one of the themes of the record is that my story is very uniquely my story, but it's also every man's story. So we all deal with the loss of a parent or the end of a relationship or disappointment or doubt or faith or a mountaintop euphoria in a really sad, depressive state. Like each of those instances are very unique to our own story. Yet as humans, we all go through that same thing. We all are eventually going to stand over a casket of somebody we love, right? I mean, that's something that you cannot escape in life. So the one, and so I wanted the collective nature of the album to hit people right from the start. And I think crossover does that because the background vocals, while they're very important, they don't require you to be able to sing harmony. It's just, you're just saying, Hey, and woo, you know, and anybody can do, I mean, Ric Flair does that, right? So anybody can do that. 
I sensed it. I I felt the same that I think a lot of these songs, it's very contemporary sounding, but the same point is there's a lot of history and I feel as though I could sing along to these songs. And you talked about the choir. What was the decision there? Because it's I don't even know in the recording process how you pull that off. Is it that's amazing. Yeah, it for somebody who's uh, on a small label like us, it's definitely a, a little bit of, it's not trickery. We actually did it with a real live gospel choir, but we just pulled favors with friends. I happen to know people who are in a gospel choir and sort of pulled them all together and convinced them of the importance of the record. And we all got together and did it in one night and just really in a celebratory way, just saying, hey, we're just here. And I And I got very loose with them, like, hey, if you guys feel like doing ad lib runs or you feel like calling out extra, you know, like in like in gospel music, one of the things I love is that if somebody in the choir has moved and like nobody's clapping and you just sort of hear that random clap that just starts, somebody just not even on rhythm, they're just clapping because they're they're feeling the emotion, encouraging them to do that. Do just what you would do as if you were in church. Like don't hold back. This isn't a recording session. This is just we're just having this experience together. And I think that really helped. And, and the choir was excited to be there. And I think they did a great job. And you could tell in the end result, it really adds a lot to the recording. And it, I don't know, it just kind of pulled me in. I noticed that immediately. Like you said, it's right off the first track. And then you go down a little bit deeper. And another one that kind of jumped out to me was Lighthouse. You know, I yeah. listened to that a couple of times. And what's the story? I mean, obviously, there's a story in the song. But how did that song just come to you? This is going to sound really weird and I'm just, but it's the truth. (laughs) So sometimes the truth is strange. I woke up dreaming that chorus. I, and it's total like the same key, the chords, the melody, the lyrics dreamt three o'clock in the morning, woke up, had to run downstairs. My wife thought the house was on fire. I thought I was crazy and record that into my phone immediately. Cause as we all know, inspiration hits you. But if you go back to sleep, it ain't going to be there in the morning. Like it's it's just gone. And when I woke up the next morning and read it, it moved me because when I was dreaming it, I didn't even realize what the song was about. But it's obviously it's just sort of fatherly advice to my son. I have four children, one of which is quite a bit younger than the others. Uh, that's called a second marriage, kids, and she's younger. So that's that's how that goes. Well, I have three kids that are grown, but my one child is eight. He's an eight year old, and it's just sort of fatherly advice. And that whole chorus, that's all it is. I didn't even realize that's what it was when I dreamt it. When I got up the next day, I was like, oh, this is a song for my son. And it's a song for my son, me giving him advice. That, And then so I wrote the verses kind of around the fact of like, hey, he's going to have a portion of his life to where I'm not here anymore. And I want him to be able to reference back to this song and be able to get through the major things in life and like almost as if his dad is still there, mm-hmm. still giving him advice, even after I'm gone. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you just telling that story reminds me of, I think Billy Joel did the same thing on River of Dreams. I think he woke up and it's even one of the, you know, in the middle of the night, I think he says that as a, as a lyric. So it sounds like you get a lot of inspiration from writing. Is that typically how your songs come together? Is you just kind of inspiration or are you one of those where you sit down and I'm going to write a song today? I would say I don't get inspiration as far as like to sit down and write a whole set of lyrics very often or music, but I get conceptual inspiration. Like I'll generally know what I want the song to be about or what I want it to feel like before anything else comes. 
and once that happens, then it's usually pretty quick from there. Uh, one of the things with this album that's unique is I, I have several degrees and, and one of them is in philosophy and I was doing a lot of writing. And so like, there's a lot of references to like 12th and 13th century philosophers and, and mixed within this sort of old rural music of America. I actually just released a philosophy book on WordCraft publishers. And so that's another sort of hat I wear. And so there's a lot of that stuff where I'm, I'm quoting like St. Bonaventure or Aristotle in the middle of this song that sounds like it was written for Appalachian churches and should be played on a fiddle. So I don't know if that works or not. It felt like it flowed good to me, but I guess that's not for me to decide ultimately if it worked. Yeah, I was reading your your bio and it sounds like you've got so many hats, like you said, you wear. And it's interesting how you've got these different creative outlets, writing books, creating music, and it sounds like you're constantly inspired. Do you have to continually kind of weigh where you're putting your energy? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I wouldn't say I'm great at it always. I, I've come across a term recently called toxic productivity. And of course, everything is toxic these days. Everything, you know, you can have like toxic breathing at this point. But I do think there's some validity that I'm trying to learn because we put out four albums in the last two years. And the philosophy book, it's a philosophy book that's 400 pages of like pretty heavy, weighty stuff that now I'm just sort of in this like promotional phase, right? Mm -hmm. So we, December, we put out a Christmas record. Last year, we put out a covers record, which we really couldn't tour on because of, you know, and then 2020, mm -hmm. we put out pieces. And so now we're sort of just sort of really getting to tour on the past four records. And I put out a book. So the whole like creating something new really isn't in the cards right now. It's promote, promote, promote. And so mm -hmm. I'm having to learn to just be and exist in, in a non-creative phase. And I think that's a really big challenge for me because so much of my energy and almost self-esteem comes from the creative process that I'm having to learn something that I think a lot of people, particularly creatives, struggle with is that I am not what I do. I am valuable because I am, not because of what I do, not because of what I'm creating, right? I'm valuable because of who I am and, and I'm being forced to sort of rest in that fact in this stage in 2022 and probably the first part of 2023 before it'll be time again to sort of get back to doing something creative. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, just going through the cycle that you've gone through, I mean, that sounds like the typical kind of like 1970s, early eighties, you know, uh, album release cycle. You know, you go on tour, write an album, go on tour, write an album, and you've experienced that. Do you contribute because of the last two years, that kind of cycle of releasing all that? Oh, for sure. The pandemic played a huge part in, I mean, we released pieces in 2020, the week before the pandemic hit. Wow. So we really didn't get a chance to tour on that record. And so then for the next year, we had part of one last thing already sort of canned. and but we didn't want to release it until things were sort of back to normal, not, not really knowing at that time that things aren't maybe ever going to be quote unquote, what we thought of normal <laughs> again. And so we decided to do a covers record. I always wanted to do a covers record and I've always wanted to do a Christmas record. And it's like, instead of sitting here twiddling our thumbs, let's stay productive because we can't tour. Let's just put out material. 
Uh, and the same thing with the book. I've always wanted to write a philosophy book. I've taken tons of classes in it. I have a master's in it. So I decided to go ahead and do that. So I'm definitely that cycle of like, let's stay creative while we're at home. And uh, I, for the covers record, for the first time for us, we did the whole record and we were never in the same room. We've always been like done stuff at Zebra Ranch or at Ardent where like ZZ Top recorded. We're super nerds for like this piano was what Wild Horses from the Rolling Stones, you know, played on. And that, we're nerdy about that stuff. We, we love it. We kind of geek out about it. Most people don't care now. But, you know, when I got to sing into the mic that uh, Let's Stay Together, Al Green sang into, I think that's cool. I could have got Al Green sweat on me, you know, so, uh, but sorry, <laughs> but awesome. so, but when it came time to like do the covers record, we had no way to be together, right? Cause some of us live in different States. So we, for the first time did the sort of passing the files around and I did most of the drums on that record and the vocals and did a lot of the like production and pre-mixing sort of stuff. So it was really kind of cool. We just decided, make a, a super long answer shorter, hopefully. We decided to stay productive through that whole thing and do what we could as far as recording, even though we couldn't tour during that time. That's totally being productive. And I guess that taps into your polymath of your, your background, being able to use all those skills. And it's, it's fascinating that now you have this whole this collection of music and you're going to start. It sounds like you are on the road or you're getting ready to go out on tour we are now our schedule's picking up we did some touring in 2021 but it's mm -hmm. really picking up now to where i mean we're playing at least every weekend at this point probably not to the point we were playing uh, you know pre-pandemic but definitely the schedule was much heavier now than it was for the past two years well that's good so you're back out there on the road you got your music now are you blending or is your set list are you going to predominantly feature your new album or are you going to just try to blend it? I mean, obviously it's not the, the Christmas time yet, but uh, you're starting to mix all that together. Yeah, we're playing probably 80% the new album and then, okay. you know, probably another 10% to 15% the covers record and then kind of just grab bag of our more popular songs from our catalog with fans, you know, sort of uh, mm -hmm. the last 5%. Well, that's good. So fans, if you're listening, you know what to... Uh expect out there on the road. And then I guess talking about music, you know, so you went down this covers angle is the covers album. Is that a reflection of your influences or what favorites or how did you land on that? And what are you, cause you talked about earlier about your influences. I'm just curious to see, I mean, you talked about the singing into the microphone and it sounds like you have a very eclectic music background. Yeah, I mean, the covers record, we basically picked songs that I'd sort of always wanted to cover, but maybe didn't quite fit our style. So, like, we did a cover of No One Is To Blame, the old Howard Jones song, but we did it in a way, like, kind of imagining what if D'Angelo or Maxwell covered this? And so it's a very cool. sort of funky version of it. The same we did the Cure uh, love song. But we imagine like, what would love song from the cure sound like if Jill Scott covered it? And so we, that's how we did it. Like, or like Prince, I want to be your lover. What would it sound like if Bonnie Raitt had covered it? So that's how we sort of approached it. Like, what would it be like if this artist covered that artist? And then we sort of blend those two things with our style. It's cool. It's like a mashup. Yeah. So they're all sort of reimaginations. Like they're, they're all, they sound very, very different. We did a really funky version of Whipping Post from Allman Brothers. I'm going to have to check this out now. I 
definitely am enthralled by the latest album. So see, I think this is what's going to happen here, Jason. You're going to head out there. You're going to start playing the new stuff. People are going to want to go back and find out you know, your, your older catalog. And that's the whole goal of Tunesmate. Our goal is we seem to get, you mentioned Howard Jones. I mean, our site is featuring a lot of these cuts that, you know, you get used to songs by certain artists and you don't realize like we featured, you know, you hear the cars, you know, that's a big eighties mm-hmm. group out there. But what about the hit that went to number 33? They don't play that one. So it is interesting how we get stuck in these music cycles, but we necessarily aren't thinking of other artists that may sound similar or other artists that maybe were at the same time that you didn't listen to because you were so focused on one artist. And I love that the fact that your your album is referencing those greats and that you're paying homage to past classics, but then bringing it into the contemporary. I think that's exactly what people need. And I love the fact you're talking about hope. Yeah. Hope is to me is that it's something that you can never have too much of. I mean, it life is hard enough. Like I said, we're all going to be standing over that casket of someone we love someday, but that doesn't mean there's not hope. It's not Pollyanna. There's a difference between being like Pollyanna, like, oh, everything's going to be great and we're all going to eat donuts and run through the fields with flowers all the time. Like, no, life is going to suck at times and be hard, but there's still hope. There's good. Like, And even in the hard stuff, there's the opportunity. Like, If you think about you know, what allows us to have courage, it's the fact that there's something to be afraid of. There has to be something causing fear for us to have courage, right? There has to be something to persevere. There has to be something that hurts, right? So even in the midst of the hard stuff, there's hope because there's the opportunity to develop ourselves. So I don't think the world can have too much hope. I don't think I could have said it any better. I I totally agree. And your new album is out there. I hope everyone gets a chance. See, I said the word hope (laughs) (laughs) to check out. The latest album, come out and see your band on tour. It sounds like like yeah, those dates are starting to pick up. And where can everybody find more information about you and your band? Yeah, jasonleemckinneyband.com. We're pretty active on Facebook and Instagram, uh, pretty active on YouTube. So you can do that. And you can also check out my book. It's on Amazon. It's on Walmart, Barnes & Nobles. If you type in Jason Lee McKinney, we're going to come up pretty quickly. That's awesome. And I guess just as people start thinking about seeing live music, if you were to just put it in a couple sentences, how would you describe your music? Oh, we, well, the, the catchphrase we use is soul infused folk and blues. And so I, I would say it's high energy, catchy thinking man's soul. Well, it's definitely high energy. That's like you said, that first track. And then there's a couple I saw sprinkled through that do kind of a similar kind of start you out and then get you hooked. I definitely think everyone should check it out. I appreciate you, Jason, being on the podcast. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, everybody, welcome back from the interview. Ray, it was interesting. I mean, he called it his music, High Energy Thinking Man's Soul, which I know you're, you know, it's always interesting to try to classify music. But I think he nailed it on that one. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's, there, I mean, it's clearly soul. Clearly, I mean, the gospel really comes through to me, especially the themes. But it's not gospel. I mean, it's it's gospel laden, but it's not just strict gospel. To me, it's really just a slice of of strong American music, uh, really growing out of even old uh, spirituals and bringing them to life. You know, you think of 
stuff like swing low sweet chariot and you know spirituals from the 1800s like that and it's this it's got the the feel of that but with the blues and soul and um and gospel really put into it and so i i i really dig it yeah i liked how he said during the interview he's like you know my whole goal is to give hope Mm -hmm. and to me during these times hope is something that as he said i don't think you can overload on that and that's interesting to me that, you know, with hope, obviously there are times where you're not everything's going to work out the way you would hope them to be. So we're all one day going to be standing over a casket of someone that we love. Mm-hmm. But it's this idea that we're just keep continuing on and embracing the fact that there is hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, that resonates right with the, the musical traditions that he's he's building off of. So, the you know, he, he says on his website, uh, gospel music and the gospel message resonate hope. And that I mean, it, it's it's right about hope. I mean, the spirituals that I talked about, those were about, you know, I mean, uh, old slave spirituals were about the hope for freedom someday. And it was a way of sort of carrying on. Like you said, that that idea that, you know, yeah, eventually all of us are going to end up in the ground, but have this hope that what we do has some kind of meaning. And, you know, even, even if we know that in the end, you know, we're going to die, we hope that, that we have um, an experience here on, on earth that is meaningful in some way. And so to that regard, you know, it's right in line with exactly the musical traditions he's building out of. Part of that, there was a discussion around, okay, so, you know, there's this, hope that's going to be there but then his album is really reflecting that later on his kids may go back and listen and have messages and there is kind of a cheesy segue here ray that i saw you recently posted about kate bush and her song that has been featured in stranger things and how that's lasted and that's something that you know we're going back is it 30 years that song and it's amazing that question that you posed about just thinking about the longevity of songs, you know, in, in relation to what, you know, Jason Lee McKinney was talking about. Yeah, you know, you know, the I mean, clearly there are there are songs that that span generations and that, that last generations. You know, um, I caught my my son singing Rocket Man the other day and, and, and I'm like, oh, you know, that song. And he, he reminded me it's because Elton John and Dua Lipa, you know, put it together. They had that that mashup that included that that hit the chart oh, yeah. uh, this winter. But, you know, the Kate Bush one, it's really something that came back uh, that, you know, running up that hill some, uh, and even you think of Kate Bush in general, don't give up and the rest of her, her catalog, I, you know, many of us in the 80s knew who she was, uh, into the 90s even knew who she was. But to younger generations, they really haven't had exposure. And so it's really been interesting to see this, this idea, oh, my gosh, who's this artist? And Gen X folks being like, yeah you know, either, you know, acting, acting all smug about it or being like, yeah, you know, come enjoy this artist that we knew. And I, I talk about um, the, the one guy, Eric Alper, that I follow on Twitter and he asks questions all the time on Twitter, you know, it's almost four years ago, said what 80s song if released today would still be as successful as it was back then. And I, I mean, for four years, I've been thinking about that. And I think, well, you know, don't you forget about me? Might that be more, you know, just as successful or, you know, I'd go through any number of other songs. And I mean, we have the answer literally this is back in the time. This, this is it, not backing because it didn't hit the top 10 the first time peaked at number 30. And 
1985, and here it is hitting the top 10. So I think you know, uh, Kate Bush is our answer. Uh, and it does show that a song can resonate across generations. It can have new life. Um, and we saw that in the 80s, right? Think of Benny King's Stand By Me, for instance, you know, a song from the early 60s that comes back and becomes a hit, a top 10 hit in, in late 1986, early 1987. So, you know, and, and again, that was, you know, this is uh, Kate Bush's a, a TV Netflix tie-in, uh, Stand By Me was a movie tie-in. And um, we see that idea that music can, can come back. And, and really, if you watched the Stranger Things season, that there's a theme that's actually brought up there about the power that music can have. Yeah, I was floored. I loved that. And I'm so glad that question was answered, Ray, (laughs) (laughs) after all these years. So just wanted to remind everybody, if you are looking for new music, definitely check out Jason Lee McKinney Band's latest effort. And I have discovered he also has a cover album and there's some great music there. And if you're looking for new music, of course, TunesMate is your source because not only are we featuring artists like Jason Lee McKinney, but in his band, but also bringing back some of those classics and songs that maybe charted lower, but you didn't, you forgot about, and we're bringing those back up. And we're going to continue to post and enlighten you. And of course, we always have stuff coming around the corner, and we appreciate your support. Once again, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our podcast. And for everyone here at TunesMate, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we'll see you next time.